Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello, I'm Freddie Sayers, and this is Unheard. Back in March, everyone's world suddenly changed. From this evening, I must give the British people a very simple instruction. You must stay at home. So on day one of lockdown, we launched Lockdown TV, a place where we could gather experts, scientists, writers, politicians, thinkers, to try to help us understand what was going on in this strange moment and what kind of world we were going to get at the end of it. And now, due to popular demand, here we are in podcast form. Welcome to Lockdown TV. In amongst all the big news stories of the past few months with the presidential election and the pandemic, you might almost have missed what was going on in Hong Kong. Tension with the Chinese mainland is at an all-time high and has actually got so bad that one of the leading pro-democracy advocates, Nathan Law, has had to exile himself and move to the UK. I think we should be very frightened. We are lacking the knowledge about China and how we are being misguided for a very, very long period of time without really understanding the true nature of the Chinese Communist Party and the way they act. I caught up with him to find out his story, what it feels like to be here, and how frightened we should or shouldn't be of China. I think it would be really helpful to kind of start from the beginning. Um, so you are um, born in Shenzhen, is that right, in, in, on the mainland? Um, but grew up in, in Hong Kong, and you have one parent from the mainland and one parent from Hong Kong, is that right? I was born in mainland China, and um, it was uh, my family was a very classic China Hong Kong marriage, which my mother stays in uh, mainland China, and my father was working in Hong Kong because back then the salary of Hong Kong and the condition was far much better than the ones in mainland China. And subsequently, we applied for a reunion program that uh, my mother and I, along with my brothers, moved to Hong Kong when I was six. And then uh, from that, our families uh, were living together. And uh, that was uh, that the background of my story from like moving from China to Hong Kong. Do you have lots of family and friends still in mainland China? Is it very, is it very connected? I'm not very connected. Uh, actually, I don't really have very close relatives in mainland China. But uh, most of my parents' families are in mainland China and I have not been in contact with them for a very long time. So explain to our viewers who might not know, you know, Hong Kong is an island just off the coast of mainland China, but the atmosphere is very different um, and it's governed in a, in a different way. I mean, tell us about the differences. You, you, you take that short boat ride and, and what kind of world awaits on the other side? 
Before 1997, Hong Kong was a British colony, which uh, the British government governed that for more than 100 years. And in 1980s, uh, when Chinese government wanted to get Hong Kong back, uh, they had undergone a series of negotiation and discussion with the British government. And they finally uh, fixate a framework of one country, two system, which when Hong Kong was handed back to mainland China in 1997, it would continue its way of life, its uh, governing philosophy, its very different um, capitalist system compared to the one in mainland China, which was more than uh, more like a socialist uh, system and one party ruling um, in order to appease Hong Kong people and alleviate their tension about their future. Because Hong Kong, when Hong Kong people were hearing about they are going back to the communist ruling, they were frightened in the 80s. And um, the Chinese government tried to say that nothing would change. It was just a flag. And it was just the name of your country would change. Uh, so that they hope Hong Kong people to not be afraid of living under uh, the Chinese flag. But subsequently, as you may see, um, things changed very rapidly. How have you seen it change? I mean, you were a young child, uh, pretty much, at the time when the, the handover from the British happened. What changes have you seen over the course of your lifetime in Hong Kong? When Xi Jinping took, took his power in 2012, uh, it has implemented far more heavy-handed approaches in Hong Kong as the ones, they, uh, as, as the ones he applied in mainland China. So the, the Hong Kong-China conflict became much more worst. And for now, we, we could see a really uh, different and um, strange Hong Kong that our freedom are being deprived. Democracy never came, and people are still struggling to have uh, their most basic human rights. So how does that actually appear in, in life? So you're at school in Hong Kong, you then go to university in Hong Kong. How does it impact your life? What, what kind of freedoms do you see curtailed? You, you really had the taste of freedom when you were living in Hong Kong at like the year 2000 and onward. Like you could speak freely on the advertisement. The government suggests that we have got all sorts of freedom. Basic law is protecting us. And for now, you can see everything changed. Um, the cultural landscape is so different. You see um, the TV shows, they play national anthem song, teaching you to love your country, love the party do not do things to, to break the law. And you can see um, th those kind of national education uh, that dispersed in your curriculum, saying that one party ruling is good. Communist Party at, uh, well, at the interest of people. And a lot of slogans are being banned. A lot of words that you cannot say. Um, and when you said it- Such as what, what, will, what can't you say? Yeah, for example, um, the slogans of the movement, uh, thoughts brainstorming about, uh, well, the status of Hong Kong, the future of Hong Kong, about its sovereignty. These are being taboo words that you cannot say. There are no rallies allowed. The, the, the police are literally banning, banning every single rally application. So you cannot see any like massive gathering on the streets. And uh, for the journalists, they're afraid of being prosecuted. There are already several journalists being prosecuted because they have uh, documented certain topics or certain um, uh, uh, episodes 
that the government don't like. There are all sorts of things that you that pop up in the news, just reminding you that how different Hong Kong now is compared to like 10 years ago. So when you were a student um, at a kind of liberal arts college in Hong Kong, you then became a prominent advocate. You were a leading light in the 2014 so-called umbrella protests. Why did you do that? What was it that made you into an activist where many of your fellow students didn't become that? Yeah, I, I grew up in a quite blue-collar families. My father was a construction worker. My mother was a street cleaner. Um, participating in politics, becoming a politician or an activist never came into my mind when I was growing up. All I was thinking was um, trying to get my family's a better life, trying to like be hardworking, getting into university, get a good job, having a family, just like ordinary orthodox way of thinking about my future. But subsequently, when I learned more about the injustice in the society, especially um, the problems generated from uh, underrepresented uh, governments, um, people's voice are not being hurt, that gradually shaped my um, my mindset about the course of life. Um, subsequently, I felt like it's more important to change the society than just living your own life. So. Um, in Hong Kong's university, there, there has been a strong tradition that the student, the student union, which is democratically elected by the students in that school, uh, actively engage in uh, social life, in um, social affairs, in social movement. So uh, by then, when I was getting into the university, I participated in the student union and became the representation of that and was involved in the massive uh, civil disobedience student movement in 2014, which we call uh, the Umbrella Movement. So do you think, I mean, obviously, nobody is doing opinion polls of the, Hong, the whole Hong Kong population that are easy to do. But if you could do a perfect opinion survey, what percentage of the entire Hong Kong Chinese population do you think would be behind your movement? Yeah, we, we, we can refer to some um, poor data about it. Um, in the movement last year, we've got five demands. Um, one of them is to have democracy in Hong Kong, and the other is to set up an uh, uh, independent investigative committee on the police brutality. And there were bullying uh, uh, showing that these two demands were getting more than 80% of supporting rates in the society. Uh, so, uh, and you could also refer to the previous election results uh, on the Legislative Council. And the rough guess is uh, around 50 to 60% of them are pro-democracy supporters. And around two, 20 to 30 of them are quite neutral. They, 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 they came themselves as uh, neutral, non-political, inclined individuals. And the rest, um, 20 to 30% are pro-Beijing, pro-establishment side. So do you think got, that's? Do you think it's growing? I mean, do you think the propaganda from Beijing, the the teaching in the schools, the banning of um, advocacy, do you think that's having an effect? And the pro Beijing group is growing. In Hong Kong's context, uh, I think that influence generated from the movement, from the pro democracy movement, from the resistance movement that we had for the past year, the weight of its impact is much larger than the, 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 the brainwashing curriculum 
and those national education um, carried out by the government. So I guess uh, that kind of political shift has been um, in favor of the pro-democracy side for the past year. And you could see it uh, in last year's uh, district council election, which uh, the pro-democracy camp had a landslide victory. So, you know, your own example, I mean, after the 2014 protests, you were then elected uh, to the democratic legislature in, in Hong Kong, the youngest ever person to be elected. And now, you know, a couple of years later, you find yourself in pretty much self-imposed exile. So I suppose for, for young people in, in Hong Kong, they have a, a big decision to make uh, whether, you know, whether to proceed with kind of advocacy and saying their views or whether to st play it safe and stay at home? Well, I guess there are a couple background information that people have to understand in order to um, digest uh, the current Hong Kong situation. First of all, we have never had a democratic council. Uh, around half of the seats uh, of the council are through direct election. And I, and I um, had one of the seats in 2016. But another half of that, uh, most of the seats were assigned to uh, the pro-Beijing camp. So even though every general election, the pro-democracy camp had a majority, but in the council, we are a minority because uh, most of the seats are being reserved to the pro-Beijing camp. So this is a semi-democratic council and, of course, can never represent the people. And uh, the second would definitely be... Um, yeah, the, 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 the influence of the national security law has been quite massive in terms of uh, its chilling effects and creating white terror that people are worried about expressing their political opinion because it's a speech crime. They could prosecute people because of what they said and what slogan that they display. So and the national security, my... just to explain to people, the national security law uh, has been this very controversial piece of legislation, the source of a lot of the protests this year, which is, uh, tell us w what's contained within it. On the 30th of June, uh, the Chinese government circumventing all the local legislation and consultation process and directly imposed a law. Its name is National Security Law in Hong Kong. And the law targets people who conduct so-called subversion, secession, or um, uh, collusion with foreign forces and to protect national security. But the problem is, is it's a vaguely defined law and it, it could prosecute people because of what you said or because of what you post online and is uh, definitely seen as a legal weapon for the government to cook up cases and to arrest prominent activists. So it's seen as a major intrusion to our um, personal freedom and human rights. And uh, many countries like the US, the UK, the U European unions, they have issued statements urging the government to restore the national security law because of its uh, draconian nature. So I flat out... Oh. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. 
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hong Kong, um, because of the law, and uh, there are news saying that I am on the wanted list of uh, the police under the national security law. So, so you, you left because you didn't feel safe. Then you felt you were being followed or you were being observed and would be arrested? Well, I had been involved in international advocacy work, which was the thing is that this law particularly um, uh, addressed. Uh, I had been doing a lot of lobbying work in the US when I was studying at Yale last year. And I had been uh, participating in many conferences and meetings with politicians urging the world to hold China accountable to implement measures and policies that um, that could do sanctionings and so on and so forth if China still continues its, uh, its human rights violation in Xinjiang and Hong Kong. And under the context of national security law, it is being seen as uh, breaching the national security law. And, um, and it's so obvious that they will go after me. So I, I left it at the end of June. So you mentioned the UK. Uh, you mentioned America and the European Union as well, you know, issuing statements uh, condemning the national security law. Well, obviously, that didn't have much of an effect. What is your view of how Britain has behaved? Because, you know, Hong Kong was a British overseas territory. We were the ones who signed the uh, agreement, the handover agreement with China. How, what is the reputation of, of the UK among your friends and your population in Hong Kong? How, how do you think we have behaved? Uh, we didn't pay much expectation to the British government because we, uh, we, have all, we, we, we were kind of having a mindset that it's always interest-driven for its foreign policy back then. And uh, that kind of perception, perce- perception really um, quite uh, overwhelming back then. So actually, no one um, did really pay much attention in the way that the British government would act in accordance to Hong Kong's human rights erosion. Um, but recently, I, I think I have observed a change on that issue, especially, for example, um, on the Huawei incident. Uh, at the beginning of this year, the government uh, 
was still saying that they are going to include Huawei in the 5G infrastructure. But um, after my arrival, um, there was a bill passed in the parliament saying that the government is actually going to exclude Huawei from its participation. And it has uh, been through an overturn in just six months. So I guess it's definitely because of how um, the political scene in general had reshaped its perception to China and had reviewed its approach in terms of getting into the problems of China's um, uh, human rights violation and they decided to adopt a much more assertive and uh, tough measures and policy direction to it. You know, you're, you're being kind about your uh, uh, new country, but, uh, you know, re in reality, the UK has not been successful in pushing back against mainland China. Um, it, you know, it has, hasn't defended the terms of its agreement very successfully. Um, and the fact that you've had to emigrate is kind of proof of that, isn't it? Well, I guess uh, for now, I'm, a, I'm in a status of exile. Um, I actually hope that my presence is not a proof of failure, but it's a signal for change. So I have always been really actively engaging in advocacy work that um, hoping the countries in Europe, like the UK, that we could really facilitate and building up consensus across political aisles and to be strong to China and to Hong Kong. And to be honest, I, I actually pay a lot of um, understandings towards that kind of a reserved approach for the past decades because how sophisticated China's um, uh, uh, well espionage and uh, a lot of uh, different infiltrations has been. And I think what is more most important is actually we are starting to recognizing that even though that recognition came quite lately. So I guess by having that awareness, we will definitely work on a much more sophisticated and right direction in order to combat the Chinese authoritarian influence. So the UK made this big dramatic offer um, saying that any holder of a British national overseas passport, um, which has not historically meant that you had any rights of residency in the UK, would be able to apply for UK residency. What's your take on that? I mean, do you think that offer will be taken up by a lot of people? What's your prediction of how many BNO passport holders might turn up on UK shores? The new BNO scheme also showed a drastic change of uh, the US government's approach to China and to Hong Kong, which they indeed take concrete policy measures to show their stance. Uh, there are 3 million people who are eligible for the scheme. But I don't think there will be that much people picking up that. My estimation would be 100,000 for the first year, and maybe it will gradually decrease along the, the years. So 100,000 next always, year, you think? Yeah, I guess it is the maximum. Because I think um, the people who are able to immigrate are middle-class people with capital. It's quite dif difficult for blue-collar families in Hong Kong who may not possess the most basic English skills to be moving to the UK and to start their new life, which they don't really have any skewed uh, qualification that could 
easy to grant them a job. And on, on that regards, um, if you compare a lot of um, condition in Hong Kong and the UK, especially a cultural environment, the, the vibe of the city, whether you get used to the weight of life, um, I don't think uh, in terms of uh, immigration, I don't think uh, there will be many Hong Kong citizens found it. They really had to pick up the opportunity to completely change their life. As a Hong Chinese Hong Kong, would you like to see lots of people come or would you prefer to see people stay where they are? Well, I think the, the, the scheme really provides people who face imminent dangers to have an easy exit. I am really grateful about that because um, there are lots of people in Hong Kong, they've been arrested, they've been tortured, or they've been intimidated. And some of them are desperately need an asset. So I guess for those people who really face imminent dangers, uh, it's a really good scheme for them to uh, protect their own safety. But for ordinary citizens, it's always a complex emotion. Uh, you want people to resist on every front. I'm on the international front. I do international advocacy work. But there are people needed in the education sector when they, uh, when they are teachers, they teach the students with the right, mind, uh, right values, right education, even though they're in a very suppressed environment. We need lawyers who could represent the protesters, even though they face intimidation and face suppression. And we need journalists who report to the truth or as close as to the truth, even though the government has been suppressing uh, the press freedom. So the stories in the British press about hundreds of thousands of Hong Kongese arriving and us building new towns for them in uh, East Anglia and stuff, you think that's uh, us getting a bit carried away and it's not going to happen? It's a bit dramatized, I guess. Uh, but I think it, it also shows the emotion of um, that disappointment from Hong Kong people to the, to the current status of Hong Kong. They desperately wanted to copy an old Hong Kong which uh, was vibrant, was um, energetic. People feel like they could do whatever they want as long as they are not harming the others. I think people had that nostalgia way of thinking Hong Kong and that this kind of a little bit more dramatized um, thinking emerged. So I guess uh, for people coming to the UK, uh, not only we have to preserve that, Hong Kong culture and Hong Kong way of life uh, in the bottom of our hearts, but we have also have to adopt to the culture in the UK society. We have to be assimilated. At least we have to understand the, uh, who we are living with and respect the culture here. So I guess the process is not as easy as many people may perceive um, before they had deep contemplation in terms of changing the way of living. You mentioned culture, and this, this I'd like to kind of end by talking about these, that as a broader question, really. Um, you know, I used to work at a survey company, and we did surveys in uh, China, and it was always amazing how kind of uniform the answers would be, even if it was about something that was totally apolitical. Um, and I've always wondered, is it partly a cultural difference? You know, we talk about always, you know, the Chinese Communist Party and, and the government. Um, it, what's your experience of the cultural difference there? I mean, is it, do you feel it's a less individualistic society, the Chinese society? What should we understand about it? 
Well, I guess there are two parts of that. There are, uh, in terms of how they portray the city or the country in mainland China specifically, um, they have a strong mindset of um, very protective way of portraying the country. Uh, there is a idiom, Chinese saying, um, that we do not um, broadcast the bad things in our family. So I guess that kind of mindset really influenced people in mainland China, that they want to portray the good things, good side of the society, and they hope that that kind of image could boost their national power and, of course, their confidence. But on the other hand, um, people are intimidated. Um, they dare not to speak up the truth um, because of the sophisticated surveillance and monitoring scheme that basically permeates in every level, in every social fabrics of the society. And um, people have a strong sense that they are being monitored 24-7. I guess um, there are different ways of really influencing how people think and act. And I guess um, it will never come, you'll never come to a, a really uh, represented pulling in many China due to these sort of reasons. How frightened do you think we should be in the West of China? I mean, clearly it's had an enormous rise um, and people are definitely waking up to the you know, harder edges of that regime. And I think some of the naivety of previous decades is falling away. But how frightened do you think we should be? I think we should be very frightened. It's not because you could see a clear message of like warfare or <laughs> invasion, but it's because how we are lacking the knowledge about Hong Kong, about China, and how we are being misguided for a very, very long period of time without really understanding the true nature of the Chinese Communist Party and the way they act. I think that is the part that made me feel we indeed have loads of work to do, and we indeed have to have a massive scale of research on China's policies, infiltration with the narrative and how they get into the democracies and dismantle and discredit our way of life and democratic values. I think that kind of urgency emerged because we just don't understand the regime. We're lacking of that knowledge in the political scene. So I guess um, the main takeaway would definitely be, especially in the UK politics, which had been infiltrated for a very long period of time, that we need to boost our knowledge to mainland China as soon as possible before it's too late. Well, sobering words. Um, thank you for sharing your thoughts with us, Nathan. Thank you so much. Our thanks to Nathan Law for giving us that sobering assessment of life in Hong Kong and the potential threat from China. We hope he settles in to his new life in England. Don't forget you can watch all of our podcast interviews on our YouTube channel. Find us under Unheard and make sure to subscribe for all the latest. Thanks for joining. Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.